Let's turn back in the scriptures to the book of 2 Samuel. And we're just going to read a few verses from the beginning of that chapter, the first seven verses there. 2 Samuel in chapter 2. And it came to pass after this, that is, after David had lamented over Saul and Jonathan, and we see the psalm which he wrote, the sadness upon his heart at the loss of Jonathan and even of Saul, who had persecuted him uh, so much. It came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household. And they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you. And I also will requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened, and be ye valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. Amen. We thank the Lord again for this reading of his word. Let's ask his help. Now, Father, we come before thee as we open the scriptures, and we pray that thou would speak to us by thy word. Thou would instruct us in righteousness. And, Lord, as we consider the word of God once again, knowing, Lord, that no words here are just to be cast aside, we pray that thou wouldst help us to weave a way through them, that we might have an understanding of what is written. Lord, that we might have some insights into what is purposed here. And Father, we realize that every time we read the scripture, new things may come to light. But that which we have, we pray, may be a light for our path, and that we might walk to the glory of thy name. So hear us then, we ask, and continue with us now, and bless our souls. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So here we find that David is uh, in Ziklag. He had gone back to Ziklag. Remember Ziklag, if you can cast your mind back a few weeks, uh, Ziklag had been burned to the ground. And uh, they had returned and found that everything was gone. And they had gone out after the Amalekites and they had defeated them and they recovered all. And they came back to Ziklag. And it was there that David uh, uh, laments over Saul. And then after this we see that David inquired of the Lord. So David is going back now into the land of Israel from the land of the Philistines, and he is praying. Uh, something has changed in David. Uh, something at this point, at least, has changed in David so that he uh, can see how important it is that he is walking closely with the Lord. Perhaps he sees the very fact that Saul is now gone, that the Lord's purposes are taking shape around him. Remember that David refused to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. 
And even though he had been bidden to do so by his own soldiers, uh, that now he had the opportunity to rid the land of Saul and become king himself, he would not do that. He said that that is before the Lord. Uh, he is the Lord's anointed. And when the Lord's time is, then shall it happen. Uh, but here now, of course, it has happened. Saul is dead and there is a vacuum in the land. And David now comes before the Lord to find out what it is that the Lord would have him to do. It's a good thing, isn't it, to seek the Lord? So easily David could have said, uh, well, Saul is dead and now I'm just going to go in and take the land. But he doesn't do so. He holds himself back and he is wise in so doing. So I want to consider this portion of scripture as we find that David makes this consultation of the Lord and then how that he is crowned by his people in Hebron. And then also I want us to go into those verses toward the end there concerning the men of Jabesh Gilead, uh, just a little anyway, and see David's conciliation and how he begins this rule in the land of Israel. So, first of all, David's consultation. It says then in verse 1, and it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. The first thing which we might draw from this is the fact that uh, David had learned the lessons of adversity. Uh, again, we have been looking at the first book of Samuel for a long time, and uh, perhaps some of those messages are a long way back, and you can't remember them, remember them very well. Uh, perhaps there are bits and pieces that you can remember. Usually I always found that there were parts of sermons which I could remember, but I couldn't remember the whole thing. Uh, I couldn't remember everything that was said. But there was something which the Lord drew out of the midst uh, and applied it to my heart. It's an important thing that we come before the Lord uh, in that humility that the Lord may speak to us. I was just uh, talking to the Lord this morning and, and saying, well, I have a sermon to bring today, uh, but do I have a message? And of course, the message wouldn't be my message. It would be the Lord's message. And does the Lord have a message for us as we come into the house of God? So here then is a lesson of adversity because David had learned uh, over these years as he had been persecuted by Saul that the times when he had sought the Lord, the Lord had been with him and the times when he had been afraid of Saul and run his own way never worked out the way that he thought they would. They were never such a time of blessing as when he was in the presence of the Lord. It takes us an awful lot of time to learn these things. And we hear them perhaps preached on, but that doesn't make a difference to us. It, it seems as though we are uh, forever cursed because of the uh, uncleanness of our own hearts and who can trust in his own heart. Uh, that until we have actually learned the lessons ourselves, we have actually uh, made the stumbles, we have actually made the mistakes and realize for ourselves that uh, those are not the things that we should be doing. It's not until then that we really pick up upon them. We, we are like children. In fact, when we think about it, we are children, aren't we? Even uh, those who, of us may be uh, older, we are still children. You think of those who lived in the uh, days before the flood, 969 years. Uh, what would 60 or 70 years seem to them? Uh, but a child, we, we would be just ch children in their sight. And for all of the years that we have been here, what do we know, really, uh, concerning the world and the things of the world? All of our experiences, we are still learning. They say you can't uh, teach an old dog new tricks, 
but we are still learning and uh, we will be learning until we uh, are laid in our in the grave so david has learned these lessons and he has learned that the troubles and the difficulties which have come upon him uh, have come about because of a lack of trusting in the lord or seeking the lord <clears throat> there is a lesson in adversity and adversities come upon us uh, as i've already said they come upon us because of our own follies but they come upon us also because they are the way that the lord teaches us in romans chapter 5 and verse 1 we read therefore being justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of god so we have this connection to god we have a connection with jesus christ by faith but nevertheless we are still prone to wander as the as the hymn writer puts it prone to wander lord i feel it and it goes on and says and not only so but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of god is shed abroad in our hearts by the holy ghost which is given unto us i always have a uh, an inclination whenever i look up a verse and see the connection with another part of a verse i've preached on the verse that i've looked up and so we could actually carry on all day can we just uh, turn up another verse which su supports this verse and then preach on that one uh, so i have to try to uh, avoid that but tribulation worketh patience patience experience and experience hope David had experienced lots and lots of tribulations and his experiences have come and they are now uh, supporting him in this role. The Lord had brought him now to become uh, the king, not just of Judah, but later on of Israel as well. And he was going to be the greatest of the kings, uh, the greatest of the kings in the fact that he is the one who draws all of the kingdom together. We know that Solomon was a mighty king, but the work of drawing all the nation together had already been done by the time Solomon takes on that role. And we know that Solomon is able to hold it together uh, through his reign and that it is a time of great blessing. And the Lord is with Solomon through that time. And we know of Solomon's personal wisdom, which he was able to bring to bear. But we find that immediately after the death of Solomon, uh, when his son Rehoboam takes the throne, that the kingdom splits and now it's back to where it is right now with the northern kingdom of israel following after uh, jeroboam uh, which is not of course of the tribe of benjamin or, or or in quite in the same way as before but still separated from judah and that tribe of judah is the one which remains with the son of solomon and the son of david so solomon although he was a great king uh, it only lasted to the end of his kingdom and then his son uh, who followed after him even as Solomon wrote for himself uh, was a fool and lost it all again so here we have this mighty king who, uh, who is David whom the Lord is going to bless throughout his life and he had learned so many things through the adversity of his life being persecuted having to run away uh, or, or thinking that he needed to run away learning that he was much better off when he trusted the lord and the lord guided and directed him and now as he comes to this situation where saul is now dead 
and the Lord had already had him anointed to be the king. He wants to know what should he do. And so he comes before the Lord. He consults with the Lord. And he asks, what shall I do? Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, go up. And David said, whither shall I go up? And he said, unto Hebron. Now, when we see this, we we recognize that there are two things that we can say concerning it. First of all, he seeks the Lord uh, for a generality. He says, should I go up to the to the region of Judah, shall I go up into in any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said, go up. Now, it is possible that he is inquiring of the Lord using the Urim and Thummim. The Urim and Thummim were stones, we are uh, told, which were in the uh, high priest's um, breastplate. And they were uh, something which either said yes or no, uh, so it would seem. And so the questions are very simple questions here. And the the answers are very simple. And so, should I go up into the cities of Judah? Go up. And David said, whither shall I go up? And he said, unto Hebron. There's the specific. That's where you need to go. And so David doesn't just stop with asking the question, what's the general thing I should do now? But he wants to know specifically where he should go. And the Lord gives him now that direction that he should go. So here he is important because he is leading lots of people. Uh, We are told who goes up with him. He goes up and he brings his wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite, and his men that were with him did David bring up every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Cities is uh, perhaps not the best translation here. Uh, Hebron was a city. Uh, the environs of Hebron, perhaps, or the regions of Hebron, uh, and so the uh, roundabout Hebron. Uh, quite often we have the word city, which is used in the scripture, and we, we are sort of thinking London or Birmingham or that kind of a city, whereas the word city is often used of a very small place like Bethlehem. Uh, we know the city of Bethlehem. Well, it was a small town, uh, perhaps, or even a village at some points, but uh, uh, we would not think of that as being a city in our way of consideration so it was a place in at least that the men of judah were able to come up and there were were thousands of them uh, so it was a lot of people who were coming and it was a lot of people with their families and all that they had and they stayed around where david was so david went up hither uh, with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelites and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. They are mentioned, this is, I think, the third time, uh, if my memory serves me. I didn't actually look this up, but I think it's the third time that they have been mentioned specifically as these two wives, which he has. Of course, David actually has three wives, uh, not just two wives. He has three wives. These two are with him, but the third wife, of course, was Michal, who was the daughter of Saul. And uh, she was not with him. So perhaps that's one of the reasons why they are mentioned in this way, with his two wives uh, and who they were. There is a significance, of course, to Michal. Uh, we know, or we will come across it, no doubt, uh, later, and we'll, we'll make a point of the significance of that then, rather than go into it now. So what we can say then is that David's consulta- consultation was very important. 
that he did seek the Lord. And we should always seek the Lord. Uh, Never just take things for granted. Just because they're there, don't just accept them as being what, well, obvious what we do now. We don't really need to talk to the Lord about it. But David, it might have been obvious to him. I mean, most of his men were from Judah. Uh, most of his men were, uh, were his, his countrymen or even his family. There were lots of his family, Joab and Asahel and all of those. They were all family, so close family. And he comes up with them. But it's not just obvious to him. And so he comes and he seeks the Lord. Always remember to consult the Lord in everything that we do, how important that is. We come then, secondly, to David's coronation. There is an honourable recognition of David now by the men of Judah. Many of them, of course, have followed him. They would have great influence with the thousands who had walked with him, those who had gone out after the Amalekites, those who had fought in battles one after another with David. They had seen how capable he was. They had seen how the Lord was with him. They had seen miraculous things, in actual fact, in lots of ways, because Saul had followed after him with armies, and yet they could never catch him. And on two occasions, Saul had been in David's hand, and David could have slain Saul. And it was always turned around the other way. And so they recognized that not only had David been anointed by Samuel all those years before, but that certainly he was anointed by the Lord. The Lord was with him. Was this not the king that they needed? Especially as they had come out from the kingdom under Saul, they had joined themselves to David because they were not happy with the way that Saul was running things. And perhaps they were not happy to some extent because Saul was not following the way of the Lord. Saul was taking uh, the the men and the daughters just as, uh, as Samuel had said he would. And he had put the men into his army and the daughters uh, were working in the households. And so he was doing all of these things and and people people were not happy with the way things were going. So they joined themselves to David and David turned out to be everything that they thought that he was. So he was honored in this. And in verse four, we read, and the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Note the kingdom here is just Judah. It's not Israel. He hasn't taken the place of Saul, but he is only anointed king over Judah. And Judah says, no, we, we won't be under Saul. We will have David as our king. And the, we, we find there in Abner, uh, in verse 8, that Abner uh, takes Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and so on. So he is to take Saul's place in Abner's view. But Judah says, no, we will have David as our king. They honor honor him. That's a wonderful thing. You know, it's very strange, isn't it, that there is a great contrast here between David and the Lord Jesus Christ. When David comes back to the kingdom, his brethren, his family, and those of that nation or of that that tribe honor him they receive him they anoint him they make him their king but we read in john's gospel in chapter one of jesus christ that he came unto his own and his own received him not remember that david is in many ways a type of the lord jesus christ and christ being the antitype 
So here we see something which is a contrast which is given to us. That David, because he is a human, because he is a man, because of all of his faults, that he is acceptable. But we saw this morning how the, the Lord Jesus was not acceptable because he had no faults. Because he didn't fit in with humanity. Because he was different. Not different in the fact that he was not human. Not different in the fact that he wasn't a part of the human race in every single way. But different in the fact that he was without sin. We're we're not too keen on people who are without sin. We like to recognize that they can fall as well. And we hear of those who have mentioned uh, people in the past as being holier than thou. But there is no one holier than thou in this world. We are all sinners. And in fact, I just uh, saw uh, a little uh, snippet this morning on, uh, came up on my phone from someone that I know. And uh, it was Spurgeon who was saying, it's not righteousness that brings salvation. The only qualification you might have to be saved is that you're a sinner. But of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was rejected. Because he was too pure, he was too clean, he was too perfect, they rejected him. But God had the last word, nevertheless, and perhaps significantly and ironically through a Gentile to whom Jesus was to be preached. This was the time, of course, when it would go from just Judah, when Jesus said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, for the gospel to go out across the world. And his own received him not, But the Gentile wrote this superscription over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. And of course, Jews refers particularly to Judah. And here is David, who is the king of the Jews. And Jesus is the king of the Jews. But in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, they rejected him. So there is this honourable recognition of David and his coronation, and we find that he is anointed then as regent over them. And he writes uh, to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and he says to them, Also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. There is a significance to Jabesh-Gilead. I don't know if you can cast your mind back. It's quite a long time uh, back now. Uh, when it was in First uh, Samuel chapter 10. And in First cha- Samuel chapter 10, we read of Nahash, who uh, went to the people of Jabesh Gilead and demanded that they uh, surrender. And they said, well, make a covenant with us. And he said, I'll make a covenant with you uh, if you have all the men to put out their right eyes. And if you can remember uh, that far back, then you will remember that they sent letters around to see if anybody would deliver them. And when Saul heard it, he was livid. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he sent messengers back, and he said, We will come, and before the sun is high in the sky, we will deliver you. And so this was the the great thing which cemented Saul in the kingdom. Uh, Going back to that chapter, perhaps we should just go back to that chapter, um, and just get it before our eyes. So First Samuel chapter 10. Well, it's actually chapter 11. It's actually chapter 11, uh, right at the beginning of the chapter. 
Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. And so they said, uh, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers unto all the coasts of Israel, and then if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. Now this is in the middle of, of Saul becoming king. Because first of all, uh, the Saul was accepted because he was the man that got the Lord had chosen. Verse 24, chapter 10, verse 24. See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. But there were men of Belial. The word Belial means worthlessness. The children of Belial said in verse 27, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. He goes then and he delivers the men of Jabesh Gilead and then afterward they come back and uh, they, the, the people say, well, it is very true that Saul is worthy. And so uh, they say, what about where are these men who said we should, we should not have Saul to reign over us? There in verse 12, the people said unto Samuel, who is he that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. It's chapter 11, verse 12. And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Then said Samuel to the people, Come, and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So this was right in the middle of Saul becoming king. He had been proclaimed king. Some of the people rejected him. He went and delivered Jabesh Gilead, and then afterwards he was accepted, and they established him as the king. So it's not without significance that Jabesh Gilead is immediately referenced here at the beginning of David's reign. And David sends to them and he tells them that although the king that had delivered them is dead, yet Judah has anointed him king over them. So there is still a king. And not only is there still a king, because, you know, that they could easily begin to fear now and say that well, Nahash or whoever was king up there at that time might come back because now there's no king over Israel. There's no one to deliver us. And David says to them, but I will requite you this kindness. Verse six of this is 2 Samuel 2 and verse six. Now the Lord show me kindness and truth unto you. And I also will requite you this kindness because ye have done this thing. That is to take the, uh, the head and the bones of, of Saul and of his sons and to bury them. And so David really is saying to them, here is the conciliation. That, that, that I want to join with you and I want to protect you because you looked after Saul, because you cared about Saul and about his sons. I will replace Saul because I've been made king of Judah. And I will make sure that you are protected because you have done this thing. That's basically what he is saying here. And so he seeks to be conciliatory and to draw the people after him. And that's a wonderful picture of a king. Here is a, here is a king who is wise. Here is a king who doesn't go out to conquer the land. Here is a king who doesn't just take the place of Saul. He doesn't just say, right, well, Saul's dead, now I'm king, and you're all going to bow down and kowtow to me. But he accepts being made king of Judah by those who accepted him. And then he writes to the men of Jabesh Gilead and says, I will look after you as well. I will care about you, and you will be protected. I will requite you this kindness because you have done this thing. 
and he is drawing the people to himself. And isn't that what Christ also does? Doesn't Christ uh, conquer through peace? Doesn't Christ say, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? Isn't this the purpose of God then? We not see the spirit of God in David bringing this reconciliation, bringing this uh, gathering in of the people to himself, that they might stand with him. Not because he is ruler over them, but because he is leader among them. And that's what Christ is to us. Now, although he is king and David is ruler over them and certainly will be in in time to come, yet he works in the midst of them. And Jesus, King Jesus, who is sovereign and mighty and is able to do whatsoever he will and judge us and cast us uh, forth and do whatsoever he will in his might and in his power and in his infinite uh, almighty power, yet nevertheless is conciliatory. And says, come, I'm not going to force you to worship me. I'm not going to force you to walk down any path. But I say to you, walk and follow me. Come and follow me. David does just that thing. So we find a a picture again of the Lord Jesus Christ in this. And so here is David's coronation then. And then finally, this conciliation, this stately contact uh, which is made uh, with, with um, Jabesh Gilead. We find that he seeks to bring them on board, but immediately in verse 8 we find that there is a problem. Now the men of Jabesh Gilead, I don't know if you can remember, uh, were on the other side of Jordan. Um, I did actually put a map up here, so I don't know if you can see that very easily. But you'll see up, if you can see it, up on the right uh, there is Gesher, um, just roughly where the R is in the word uh, Israel, on the other side of the blue line, which is the Jordan, if you go across there where it's all blank and there's nothing in there, that's roughly where Jabesh Gilead is. Maybe, um, uh, I, don't, I can't see it on that screen, so I don't know how far it is, but maybe six inches past the blue line, because um, I can't see how big it is on, the, on there. Uh, but it, it was there. And David, of course, is in Hebron, which is down right in the middle at the bottom. Not, not the very bottom, but the uh, one, one or two words up. Uh, Hebron, that's where David is. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead are quite a long way away. And they're on the other side of Jordan. So we can see something about what the, what the uh, topography of the land was. But then in verse 8 it says, But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim and made him king over Gilead. So that is where Gilead is, on that side of Jordan. And that is, of course, where Jabesh in Gilead is, Jabesh Gilead. And so now Abner has made the king on that side of Jordan. <clears throat> David is trying to conciliate on that side of Jordan and bring in the, the, the tribes, the two tribes that stayed on the other side of Jordan when originally they crossed over into the land of Canaan uh, under Joshua. <clears throat> and that's where Abner has gone. So he is establishing the kingdom on that side of Jordan. And the reason I say that is because I think that perhaps David is snared by culture here. 
And we're just going to bring it in because of this conciliation, how that David is trying to, to build the kingdom and he's doing so by drawing people toward him, by uh, embracing them and bringing them with him. And I think he is snared by the culture because I think uh, that perhaps what he tries to do is to make allegiances on that side of the river. The reason I say that is because if you turn to chapter 3 of uh, of 2 Samuel, chapter 3, we find at the beginning of that, uh, in verse 2, And unto David were sons born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam the Jezreelites. So we know that she was one of the wives that is mentioned. His second, Kiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal. She's the other wife that she's mentioned who has gone to Judah with him. The third, you'll note, is Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Gesher. Where is Gesher? Well, you can see it right up there next to the little blue circle. It's not quite a circle, but Gesher is up there. Uh, on the right side of the river and uh, that is the Sea of Galilee which is right next to it there so he has made an alliance with the king of Gesher Talmai and what was done in the time was when alliance was made there was a marriage made and I think that perhaps he had been caught and snared by the culture in following after what other kings did when they joined uh, territories to themselves they made alliances by marriage now David already has three wives and the scripture uh, we know from the beginning God said that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh and David has already uh, gone past that Michal I suppose he could think has been taken from him and so uh, she is no longer with him he might consider that a divorce and uh, that he is free to marry again so uh, we can see how that he might uh, marry the Jezreelites, and uh, we can understand how that may come about. But when it comes to Abigail, well, perhaps he has sort of justified that in the fact that poor old Nabal died because he, re- he rejected him, and Abigail was left with nothing, and, uh, and perhaps David uh, felt sorry for her. Uh, maybe he realized how wise she was uh, and that <clears throat> she would be useful around so he marries her as well oh we can see how easy it is for these things to be justified in our minds but now as he marries this third wife Maaka, the daughter of Talmai king of Gesher it certainly seems to be that it is done that he might consolidate the kingdom and it's on that side of the river where Amna, uh, where, um, uh, where <coughs> Abner is and where the king uh, that Abner is supporting is and But the problem, of course, is when we're snared by the culture, it never comes good. And we've noted before how David has made mistakes. And I think that he has made a mistake here. You might recognize the name of this third son, Absalom. It was Absalom, wasn't it, who sought to take the kingdom off David and have David killed. It was Absalom's sister who... Abner, who was David's first, uh, or Amnon rather, who's David's firstborn, lusted after and raped. And because of that, it was 
then Absalom, who slew Abner because he had raped his sister. So, so much trouble has come into the house of David through the mistakes that he makes by following the ways of the world. And I think that uh, we should always learn the lesson that the ways of the world are not the ways of the Lord. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The ways of the world are many ways. Uh, and people use all kinds of uh, different ways to try and get people to hear the message. But God's way is the preaching of the gospel. We have to be careful that we don't fall into man's ways and apply them in some way. Well, how can we use this? How can we use the music of the, of the, the late 20th century to bring people to Christ? How can we use the media of the late 20th century to bring people to Christ? I mean, all of these things can be uh, useful, I suppose, but we have to be careful not to begin put our trust in those things. What was the way that souls were saved in the past? It wasn't through music and it wasn't through, uh, uh, through the media, but it was through prayer. And I wonder how much prayer there is in these days, how much people spend time in prayer. Are we not more likely to be distracted by the media? Are we not more likely to be uh, taken up with the things of the world? Are we not bringing in all the troubles of, of Absalom and of Amnon and all that went on in David's house because we have brought the world into the church? So David begins this kingdom well by seeking the Lord, but still there are mistakes. We thank God that God is able to overcome our mistakes, but we certainly need to be much in prayer, which is where we started here when David consulted with the Lord to see what the Lord would have him to do. We know that God is able to overcome the mistakes because who was Solomon? But the son of Bathsheba, who was, well, how many wives in was that? He had seven wives in Hebron in the end, and this was yet another wife later on in in his life but the lord used something out the lord does use even the errors that we make for his glory i suppose that shouldn't be a surprise to us because he doesn't have much else to work with does he i mean in in jesus's life everything was perfect but in our lives nothing is perfect now if god didn't work through imperfections he wouldn't be able to work at all but we thank God that he is able to overcome our failings and he is able to fulfill all of his purposes nevertheless. But that doesn't give us an excuse to make the mistakes. And how careful we must do in all of our prayer and all of our seeking of the Lord that we walk in his ways and not in the ways of the world. May the Lord bless his word and our thoughts this evening.